Welcome to Natalie Shanze and Rachel's channel. This is Rachel. Today, I'm going to discuss with my friends Shanze and Natalie the topic designing the early learning environments to be the third teacher. There are many things we could talk about in this topic. We wish to share with you some useful information and hope that you would enjoy our conversation. And I'm not going to let you wait anymore. Let's get started. Hi, Shanze. How are you today? Hi, I'm alright. How are you doing? I'm good. I I also want to know if uh, Natalie is doing okay. Oh yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Awesome, you guys. So this is such a broad topic. Now to give our listeners a little bit of a context, Shanze. Um, in your opinion, could you help me tell uh our listeners uh, a little bit uh about the theme of this week, the early learning environments as a third teacher? Sure. Um, thank you for the intro. So this week's topic, it's week 12, I believe. Um, we're talking about the environment as a third teacher. Now, from my understanding of this topic, the environment as a third teacher has to do with the early learning environment. And this um, varies from not only like the actual physical environments, about the people in the environment and also the materials in the environment. So of course, people, this has to do with relationships. And this is, it's not just the relationships between the ECEs and the child. It's also about the relationships that the child has with their peers. And besides relationships, this also ranges down to the actual physical environment. So let's say, is there lots of noise pollution? Is there enough natural light? Is it a clean, organized area? So, yeah, I think that kind of sums it up, in my opinion. Yeah. So, Natalie, do you want to add on something? Yeah, of course. Um, that was really great, Shanze. You did a nice introduction to our topic for this week. Thank you. And um, before we go into the actual elements of the environment, um, I want to touch on what you mentioned briefly, which is the relationships within the environment. Now, the relationships really tie to standard one of um, the code of ethics and standards of practice right. because it talks about um, building relationships and how important that is. Essentially, when we help children build really strong relationships with their parents, we help them feel comfortable and warm in the environment, which in turn helps the children feel secure and, of course, creates an important sense of belonging. And we We really want to build that sense of security for children because it helps in turn guide their ability to self-regulate. And I don't know if you guys read or sorry, listened to the webinar, The Learning Environments um, by Helen Ramos. Yes, I did. She oh yeah. So um, she has four steps to intentional learning environments, which are reflection, reflection, sorry, observation, sharing, and responsiveness. Mm-hmm. And these all kind of tie together. And reflection is so important because we are reflecting on the environment and how we how we are interacting with children to create the environment. And that ties into sharing. So are we sharing to get feedback? And are we observing to take time to look at the environment? And also responding to adjust the environment as children's needs and interests change. So did you guys have anything to add to that? Can I go first, uh, Shanze? 
Yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I did watch that video also, and I have something to add on. In order to evaluate our learning environment, I found an interesting detail in the How Does Learning Happen document. We could make a connection to what you guys have been uh, talking about. Yeah, so in the document, uh, they mentioned that the educators must come up with uh, purposeful approaches to new experiences and ideas rather than acting as the expert when they interact with children. So what do you think about that? Uh, I really like that point, Rachel. Like interacting with children is number one and building relationships is so important. And to create an environment that is the third teacher, it's all about who the environment is teaching. It's not meant to be teaching us or proving anything to anybody else. It's meant to be teaching children. And a lot of that has to do with them and their families, where they come from, their stories. And as educators, it's important that we're not afraid of trial and error, that we are patient and committed and consistent, and that we see the importance of change because it can't always be static like you said at the beginning Rachel like we can't do this we can't necessarily do the same thing yeah. in fall that done all the way to the end of the semester yeah so it's like uh, we, we would want to be uh, ch- uh, children's friends we we don't want to show that we would be any better than them or we know more than them but, yeah. like children are learning and exploring the world around them and we are also learning from children Right. I agree with you guys. Like, I like how you both highlighted that fact that we shouldn't make the children feel like we are like the superiors. Like, of course, we're there to support them and guide them through their um, play based learning. But we shouldn't make them think that we are the end all know all just like we shouldn't (laughs) make them think we we are above them. We should be equals. You know, we should I think that goes back to the feeling of validation, like, hello, I validate, like, I validate your opinion, I validate your emotions, they are as equally as important as mine, and this entire, like, the reason I'm here is because of you. And um, mm-hmm. back to what Natalie said about the whole um, acknowledging their backgrounds and stuff, right, I like how you highlighted that, because the third environment has a lot to do with acknowledging um, diversity as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. And if we're not including that diversity, we're kind of excluding a large part of who the children are. And we're also telling them that they're, you know, indirectly, like we're kind of not validating that that part of them that's pretty much right. integral to who they are exactly. as a person. Exactly. Like, I feel like... Um, I don't know why I didn't say this part in my introduction. You know, diversity is such an incredibly huge part and like like something that should be shown within the environment. I'm not saying, of course, you can't just immediately make your um, group of students like a diverse couple of people. I mean, it will most likely be so, but you can't force that. But you can introduce that into the class, into the early learning environment. You know, even if there's no one in that environment that is from, like, say, um, out of typical to that area or that certain environment, 
um, of like mm-hmm. a different background, say religious, like religion wise, ethnicity wise, even yeah. like if you have like two parents of the same gender, you know, like anything. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's that goes back point. to that goes back to introducing those concepts into the classroom. Into excuse me, I keep saying classroom, yeah. the early learning environment. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. Yeah, and I think a way to do that would be connecting with families Very true. and having conversations with them, including them, inviting them into the classroom, the early learning environment <laughs> and telling them your voice is heard. We care about you. We care about your children. Right. And I, I really like that you said that even if um, different people and different backgrounds aren't directly represented, we can still include those right. by doing so in a in an appropriate way, by not appropriating anything, because we have to be so careful about that. Yeah. Right. 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 Appropriating all, people's cultures. Right. It's all about respect at the end of the day. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I liked how you mentioned about inviting the parents into the environment, you know, having them be there like hands on. Because, like, I think ECEs, RECEs, they need to understand, like, their responsibility of not only connecting with parents, but also self-educating themselves about certain topics and um, ways that will benefit the child and making them feel more included. And then, of course, relating back to the how does learning happen document, making them feel like they have a sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and that sets them up for a really great future of, being citizens who are aware of the world around them and in touch with differences and will celebrate differences. So that was our point on diversity and including everyone in the learning environment to make it the third teacher. Rachel, do you have anything else that you'd like to talk about? Um, uh, Thank you, Natalie, for asking. So I think that uh, one more challenge to educators is that dealing with shy children because you know like uh, some children are more shy and less willing to share upfront uh, so how could uh, we sh- share with them their ideas and per- perspectives and uh, do you have some techniques uh, to deal with them um yeah well techniques as in behavioral problems would be to really foster their interests long-term and always make sure to have um, materials and provocations um, in order to really keep keep minds active and engaged and interested in what the environment has to offer. Is that what you meant, Rachel? Oh, yes. Uh, so I want to add out some information so that, uh, yeah and shy behavior is normal in babies and children uh, as far as I know and there's nothing wrong with shyness. All children are different and some children are more shy than others. It's just part of their temperament uh, which is the unit way they interact with their world. So we should uh, give the child time to feel comfortable. Don't 
don't make them go straight into the arms of an unfamiliar adult or something like that. And let your child uh, know that uh, his or her feelings are okay and that you will help uh, the child manage them. For example, uh, you can come to the child and say, oh, I can see that you're a little bit worried or scared of something because you don't know anybody in the center or any friends here. So let's look together and then we can uh, join or something like that. And we can could also promote them by trying to model uh, confident social behaviors so that the child uh, can watch and learn from us. For example, when someone says uh, hello to you, you always um, say hello back. And we can connect with uh, families to learn about their performance at home or to find whether there are some other reasons besides uh, temperament. What do you think about that? I like how you got into like the app, like the proper details of actually forming a relationship. Like, I think so far we've just kind of been like scratching the top of that topic. Like, okay, you know, gotta have a good relationship. You're actually talking about like in depth, what is a good relationship and how the starting phase of that is kind of awkward. We are strangers after all in the beginning. So I like how you just open up about that topic. And right, I agree. We shouldn't just immediately try and bond with the child we are strangers and the child is aware of that the child has their own personal experiences and their own personal relationships you know so we have to treat them like how you would treat anybody when you're meeting them for the first time yes i agree right and i liked how you um you also talked about i believe helping them with temperament issues yeah like uh yeah yeah, sorry uh, because uh, sometimes it could be their temperaments, like uh, how they was uh, how they were born that way, or sometimes it could be due to other problems, uh, such as mm-hmm. um, family issues, or right. yeah, or something like that, or like poverty, or right. I can't. Okay, I get you. Yeah. And I like so basically, you're introducing the idea that the child can find solace, solace, solace. I don't know how you say the word. Yeah, solace within the RECE, thank you, Natalie, by communicating their problems yeah. with them or just maybe having a better relationship with them than they do with their parents, right? Yeah. Yeah. And one thing I'd like to add quickly about that, specifically in terms of the environment, is observing children and seeing if, for example, there's a child who is arriving at the center every morning, crying all day, extremely tired, Instead of brushing that off as a behavioral problem, we can talk to them and talk to the family and find out what is going on. For example, if the child is from from a home where the parents are working all day long and they don't have much time to allocate in the morning for preparation, um, we can know that. And then in the morning, instead of rushing into activities, we can create a nice transition period for that child to make sure that they are feeling like they belong and we can maybe set them up in a quiet area so they have time to rest before joining in. Yeah, that's all all I wanted to add. I agree with you with that point. You said transition periods are super important. And I think this can also, you know, a child with a temperament or coming from like a loud, not I, I don't want to say toxic, but maybe not the healthiest kind of kind of family. I think that also mm-hmm. signifies the importance of like just the natural environment, like how important it is to have like um, a non-distracting play 
environment you know so like again mm-hmm. back to the point of like an organized area not too much noise pollution the colors of the area shouldn't be too loud like a child that's already dealing with those kind of problems at the back of their mind they don't want those subconscious unconscious you know triggers or just annoyances throughout their play they just want a place where they can be peaceful and content so I think you know the environment as their teacher also relates of course to the actual physical area so I'm just bringing that back to a child who may be coming from that kind of background so um, I'm just highlighting the importance of like also focusing on the physical environment yeah yeah and nature too time in the outdoor environment as well which is just as important right yeah Thank you, guys. One last problem that I want to bring up uh, in order to provide our listeners uh, some knowledge is uh, the challenges of educators in implementing these in, in our practice and what are the obstacles like to design, monitor, and evaluate the environment. I would like to hear more about that, Rachel. I think that there are some obstacles to design, uh, monitor, and evaluate due to the center's policy, the government's policy. And, you know, like when educators uh, try to complete their daily task uh, to reflect on their practice. And we, we got to think uh, about um, how to approach each guy uh, appropriately uh, since each uh, individual functions differently and how to make the process more child-led, uh, which means that how educators can minimize or eliminate the intervention during the play, how to respond or question children properly to promote their play experiences. And do you want to add on anything, you guys? No, I think you've really covered everything related to that topic, Rachel. I genuinely I don't have anything to add to that. Yeah, thank yeah. you. So I'm going to wrap this up for you guys. This has been our fourth podcast for week 12. The topic was the environment as a third teacher. I was joined with Natalie, Rachel, and this is Shanze. And I hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Bye. Hi, everybody. I hope you're doing well. Welcome to our very last podcast. It's been six weeks passing by and we have covered a wide range of topics related to the early childhood education. In this episode, we're going to reflect on what we've been learning and examine how COVID-19 impacts on the early learning environments. We hope that you would enjoy our conversation and get something from it. Now, let's get started.